What's up guys, this is Wilson, and today is a very special episode with a very special guest. His name is Tim Seiku, he's a co-founder and CEO of Tint. I'm really excited for this episode, let's dive right in. Hey guys, I'm Wilson. And it's Elton. And we're here with Tim Seiku, co-founder CEO of Tint. What's up everybody? What's up? Tim is actually a longtime friend of mine. I've known him since middle school. Is middle right? school, way back. Sixth grade. That's when you had a... Uh... You had bangs on your head. Oh, people don't know about this? <laughs> Go look at his Facebook, find that. Yeah, please don't look me up. Um, and Tim is actually my roommate back in college, too, at USC. We had a lot of uh, history together. Yeah, yes. funny enough, you actually talked about this idea during in the dorm days, and I actually was a little doubtful, but <laughs> you asked me for my opinion and like maybe to potentially join, but after a couple of iterations, it seemed like it might have worked out, right? Yeah, definitely. This, yeah, this whole idea came from the, uh, the good old USC days. So Tim, why don't you tell us what is Tint? So Tint is a three, three and a half year old company. We build software and this software helps organizations pretty much display any of their uh, social media content or user-generated content from their audiences that share on social media and display it on their websites, on their mobile apps, TV screens, projector walls at events, or even like big jumbotrons in game stadiums or even in Times Square. And the whole idea is once you display this content on these screens, you engage with the audiences and get them to take an action or convert them into a potential customer in the end. Has there been a need for this? Has this been a growing need or how did you yeah. think about this idea? So the need was very serendipitous in discovering you know, this need for our uh, client in, in the market. Mm -hmm. We actually started off as another company in the consumer space mm -hmm. and pretty much didn't work out, didn't grow to what we wanted it to be. All we did was sort of tweak it a little bit and pretty much license the technology to companies and B2B companies and it started working out. So when do you f figure out when to do that switch and yeah. changing your business model? So like I said, we were a consumer side product and this was back in 2012. And at that time, consumer products were really hot. And at the same time, because they were so hot, there were so many consumer apps coming out and thus the sort of expectations for a quote-unquote successful consumer app was very high. There was this quote basically saying that the new 1 million user count is actually ballooned to like 10 million. So uh, like the sort of, yeah, the standard was like 10 million and 10 million users. And so we had raised a small seed round of around $350,000 at that time. And there was expectations to grow it to a certain point, especially if you weren't going to monetize it yet. And so a lot of it was on user growth. Wasn't able to achieve that within a certain time frame. And we realized that it wasn't working, and so we had to make a shift from there. And because of that, actually, because people weren't like signing up or like hopping on to our application, it signaled that we weren't necessarily solving a true problem or need that we assumed there was. Yeah, is there any point in time where you're thinking, hey, we should either pivot or maybe this is not even a viable idea at all? Or were there any doubts in general? Yeah, so we launched the full product in like May of 2012, the first product, Hypemarks. And that was and, while you were at SC? Uh, right after SC, actually. Mm. So I've actually finished school a little bit early to, um, to pursue this. By August of 2012, so literally, what, three months, we realized we needed to switch. And that 
hurt a lot because you envision this, you know, this this solution and it's your baby and you want to grow it the way you want it to, but the market says they don't like it and so you have to kind of swallow that pride and and pivot essentially. That was pretty quick. 3 months. Very quick. I I don't think it's normal at all, but what was going through your mind? What kind of internal struggles might yeah. have you? Like I said, it was it was a hard pill to swallow to say that I had envisioned something and then had to switch it after within a couple months. But the biggest signal was there weren't enough people signing up and even when they signed up, they weren't maybe returning back to the application. That in itself sort of signaled that it wasn't solving a true need and I think it's a pretty common challenge for first-time entrepreneurs where they actually come up with a solution before defining the problem. So I think a lot of our audience might currently actually be students right now thinking about starting their own venture or even in graduate school thinking about starting their own business. How did you make the decision to start your business while you were at school? It came down to one advice I was given from one of our first investors which was if you have an opportunity to pursue an ambition or dream and the stars actually align and the only thing left is for you to sort of take that leap of faith. The advice I was given was this opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You will if you're good enough to get to where you are at right now, you will always have the opportunity to find a job. A job will always be waiting for you. And since you're younger or at right now if you're at a younger age, you have so little obligations relative to if you are older, family obligations, loans, etc., etc. So it was pretty much very simple. You have the opportunity now. Why not go for it? If you're good enough to where you are able to get where you are right now, a job will always be waiting for you in the future. I I know you from a friend perspective, but how have you changed through this experience the last four years? How have you changed as a person? Have you changed at all? Yeah. <laughs> so. Absolutely. The one analogy I can give is that when I was in college before I even decided to pursue this, I was very, especially growing up as an Asian American, I was very focused on, you know, what's next for me? Let's plan ahead and let's have a plan and let's communicate that plan with my parents or friends to like, you know, gauge and make sure that it makes sense. But as an entrepreneur or even pursuing your own company one day, the last thing you'll ever have is any assurance of the future. And so one of the biggest shift that I've had is accepting that it's okay to not have a plan moving forward. And the only thing that really drives you is that ambition to solve that problem that you set out for. And so that's one of the biggest changes. Aside from that, I think going through all these you know, crazy journeys and, and challenges, you start to be more grateful or even just more aware of everything that happens and like appreciating it because mm. in the end, all that matters is, in my opinion, the sort of journey, the, the community and the experiences you create. And so and appreciating that is very important. So how, how do you grow to accept that? I think a lot of students going on these journeys might sometimes give up or feel the need to give up and sometimes they are overwhelmed by pressure etc yeah what is your kind of routine like there's a difference between an entrepreneur and a entrepreneur and mm. so when i say a entrepreneur those are people who are maybe motivated by some sort of fame or glory or money and so when something does not work out they'll want to give up why i'm saying all this is that if you're thinking about starting a company um, and you want to pursue the entrepreneurial route, really focus on 
why you're doing this and if the why is really the problem that you're trying to set out for and, and solve for, that's going to overcome all the pressure or the expectations that or the obstacles that trip you along the way and you'll come back up you'll get back up and you're going to be even stronger and you're going to be even more motivated because you're that much more equipped with knowledge to go after and solve that problem and so i think the main answer to you know your question is setting your eyes on solving the problem will overcome all the other pressure or challenges that arise because it's so exciting to get to that solution in the end what does excite you most? Is the same things that excite you back when you were founding company? Is that, are those the same things that excite you now? There has been an evolution of like motivation for sure. Mm. I mean, in the beginning, it was probably just the pure excitement of starting something, mm -hmm. which I would define myself as a potential entrepreneur at that time. <laughs> then you start going through all the the shitty situations that happen, and you get punched in the face so many times with all these issues, but yet you still like get through it and you're still excited as ever and then so you start understanding that at least for me what's motivating me today and still today is I think two things one is just personal professional growth and the second one is the community that I'm able to experience this growth with it's nothing around you know being the best solution in the whole world or trying to exit with a ton of money it's really appreciating the the experience and the journey with these with these peers around me what are some of the challenges that you face as an Asian American? Yeah, I think it boils down to two examples that I've thought about in terms of the journey that I've gone through. So one is obviously the biggest one, which is like parents, like what are their expectations? And I remember when I decided to graduate early, you know, my 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 mom was basically saying like, okay, fine, if you're going to graduate early, like what job are you set up for? Like, where, what, what job are you going for? And I said, I didn't apply to anything. And uh, she definitely was a little freaked out. I remember we went to go grab some, like, Denny's or something like that. <laughs> and we sit at the booths, and she was like, all right, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what's up? And she's like, what job are you going to go for? And I was like, I'm not. Like, I'm going to go try to figure this out. And I'm going to do it. And whether you're going to support me or not, I'm still going to try it. And uh, the most compelling uh, point that I was able to convince her is that just let me try this out for, like, a year. And if it doesn't work out, I know I'll be able to find a job. Again, this goes back to the point where that advice was given to me, where if you're able to already feel like you can start a company, that quality um, in itself is a very attractive quality for any employer in the future. And so if you're able to get to the point where you're going to start a company and pursue it, you will you will be able to find a job in the past, in the future, and that's not a problem. And so I was able to convince that with her. But there's definitely that expectation. And I even called her out and basically said, like, hey, I apologize if you won't be able to maybe brag about me for uh, with your friends or compare me with, you know, your friends' uh, children or, or or sons and daughters, but just let me pursue this because this is what I I need for myself. So there's the, that that was you know one example to deal with parents, and that would be my advice to try to like uh, have a compelling point to convince them and just not even convince them, but just to like inform them. Um, and then the second example I'd say was a big challenge was when, you know, you're starting the company and you're trying to, you know, raise some capital, the sort of profile you get or that VCs usually see will be maybe mid to late 20s, early 30s, um, white Caucasian American. That's your typical profile. And I'm not saying that anybody that I met was racist at all, but there might be, there might have been some subconscious bias um, that occurred during these pitches. When I'm pitching these VCs, because I'm not their sort of ideal profile, there definitely is, you know, some 
I felt there was some friction and that friction could drive that. I look very young and at that time when I was like 22, I probably looked like I'm 16 at that time. <laughs> I probably look like 21 now, but I'm 25. <laughs> so yeah, so there was that, definitely that sort of point where you look very young and so you might get not, not as much respect. I remember there was one time where you know I was on a phone call trying to pitch and they were like, hold on, I'm at the bank, I need to like deposit something. And then I'm just like, really, like, if that's if that's what you, you know, treat me as, then I just don't want to like talk with you. I think the one way to battle and counter all of that is to push that aside and let your knowledge, let your expertise, let your sort of like just like what you know in the industry speak for itself. And knowledge is power in this situation. And so if you can really let your logic and brain speak versus letting your emotions get into play, I think it'll be more convincing and more uh, powerful. Got it. Conversely, when you meet with Asian Americans on the other side, does that actually give you more trust, actually? Does that have a quick ramp up of like understanding? I feel there's an air of like mutual respect for each other because of all the maybe subconscious biases that we all go through. And we can relate to that, I feel. Sometimes I'll bring it up and say like, hey, like, do you ever feel like you have challenges with, you know, your path? But most of the times it's a mutual understanding that there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of obstacles. But when there is like maybe an Asian American VC or investor or just people that we talk with, there is that sort of comfortability with that. And you can't really explain it, but you just sort of mutually understand that. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the idea around making your parents proud. Because I know as Asian Americans growing up, the ideal kid would be kind of trying to please their mom and dad as as much as possible. Did they understand the idea of being an entrepreneur and what that meant? The main, actually the first reason why I even wanted to create the company was to make my single mother proud. And at that time when she raised myself and my older brother and older sister, there was a lot of work that went into there. And so I wanted to make sure that she knew her work didn't go in vain. So that was my main motivation to start the company. And I didn't tell her that, but I mainly focused on that true core aspect to keep motivating me. That was the main motivation, and that was why I wanted to start the company. After a few years into it, I did tell her that, and uh, she did feel much better, but also guilty that she questioned the whole reason why I wanted to start the company. And, you know, it all turned out well in the end, but I definitely believe that there was a lot of, you know, intention to make parents proud. You know, I think an advice here is that if, you know, if that's your hope and, and intention, Ask yourself like why you want to do it and, and and communicate that with your parents and I believe if the parents are truly caring for you, they'll they'll let you pursue that. Thanks everyone for listening into our very first episode with Tint CEO Tim Seku. Follow Tim on Twitter at Tim Seku and check out his website, tintup.com. Elton and I want to give a special shout out to our awesome sauce team. Big thanks to our producer, Lauren Miyamoto, for her hard work every single week and really just being a warm and caring friend throughout this whole process. And thank you to our editor, Christian Edwards, who is our master chef, mixing and matching every episode and making us sound better than we actually are. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce Podcast. Hopefully you're one step closer to discovering your secret sauce. And if you like what you heard, like our Facebook page, Fish Sauce Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Fish Sauce Pod. Thanks again for joining in and hope you enjoyed the show.